been with us, you know that we are in the midst of a sermon series called the Songs or the Psalms of Ascent. We're turning to Psalm 126 as we continue our chapter by chapter, verse by verse study of these songs. We are in 126. It will start. We started back in 120, and we are already on Psalm 126. I hope I'm right. Am I right? Is that where we are? Good. I've been away for so long, I don't know where we are really. Do I need to go back to a couple sections? Is that right, 126? Okay, good, good. Praise be to God. I am right. I've been going going so long, I don't even know where we are in the Bible anymore, so that's good. Um, First, I want to just take a moment this morning to thank you for your prayers and your ministry of faithfulness to uh, myself and Mackenzie over the past month. Um, We definitely have needed it. Uh, I have great news uh, from Uganda about God's faithfulness and all the things that he has done over these past few weeks um, in the midst of all of the confusion and turmoil from missing flights to having flights changed to my daughter going into the hospital uh, and uh, coming out of that uh, with, with unbelievable health. And we are just here this morning, and I just want to personally say as your pastor, Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your cares. Um, God was faithful in the midst of it. As we turn this morning to Psalm 126, we gather our hearts back to this series as we have studied the historical psalms of God's redeemed people as they prepare themselves for their journey to the feast in Jerusalem. We've spoken about this with you, uh, the God's redeemed people, uh, as they, this serves as a hymnal these songs of ascent, sermons of a hymnal, if you will, of God's people as they now journey to uh, the feast in Jerusalem. And if you remember that as we have been journeying through this, that we have discovered in our own stories uh, as believers in Christ that we might not be journeying to Jerusalem for a feast and as Israelites, uh, but we are God's redeemed people who are journeying to a greater feast and a better Jerusalem. That is to come. So as we look at this and as we look at these songs that have been set apart, that have been set apart for the church, that we now can look at this from God's redeemed people, his church, as we now prepare ourselves for that great feast uh, as we uh, travel through our own journeys. And this morning, our psalm brings us to that place uh, in Psalm 126 that I don't doubt that we have all experienced. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in that place of your life when you have experienced season, that the abundant life seems a bit less abundant. That when our songs of praise are often silenced by the reality that nothing seems to be going as expected. And oh... Oh, do I have some stories to tell about things not going as they expected. As I have sat in many an airport, as I sat in Orlando Airport at one time, literally looking out the window of the Orlando Airport with my daughter probably looking at me going, he is about to lose his mind. My wife on the phone saying, Donnie, stay calm, don't kill anybody. You'll never make it on ministry if you do that. I can tell you that as we were traveling to Uganda, that the season of that trip 
My song of praise was silenced by nothing seemed to be going my way. So I can identify with this. I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know where you are on your journey. You know, it's easy for those of us when life seems to be going grand to sit back and to go, surely we would never be in that place. But then it only takes a slight plane delay to really ruin your whole idea and perspective, yes? Uh, How do we, the question, how do we as God's covenanted people, as his redeemed people, as people who call ourselves in Christ, the question that we are asking is, how are we as God's people going to live inside of this reality, inside of this silence? How are we as God's people to live inside of this? And now, the irony of this is this message was prepared many, many weeks ago. Many, many weeks ago. I prepared this message before I ever left for Uganda, and I'll never forget, I was sitting in uh, the house of the Ag- uh, 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 Zibwes, and I was sitting in their home in a in a in a... Uh, and, and a, on a desk, and I was looking out into a, uh, a, a Ugandan hillside, and as I was looking out there, I was reading this message, and I would go, and I, and I literally shook my head, and I said, God, oh God, you have such a sense of humor, such a sense of humor, that you would have had me write this message weeks before I ever experienced the journey, weeks before I ever failed to be this man. You hear me? And now he brings me back to remind me of all that he is. You don't tell me my God don't have a sense of humor, that he don't lead us through paths, through stories. So the question is, how do we as God's covenant people live as Jesus' people in this, in this silence, in this less than expected life? So I want to join us I, wanna, I want you to join me as we join the song of the redeemed. And I want to see if we're given the answer to this. So from Psalm 126, I want to read this and then pray and then we will begin. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and King, we come before you and we ask for you to meet us here. God, if there's somebody in this place who doesn't know what it's like for you to be their Lord and their Savior, I pray that today be their day of salvation. I pray that, God, they would come to be saved and through that salvation that father they would respond with the faith that they are provided and they would come to be obedient as your people and follow you for you are worthy of the praise and the honor and the glory of every tongue every tribe every nation on the face of this planet everyone created in your image and your likeness god you are worthy of their praise and that god for those of us who are your people as we sit or stand in this place this morning 
that we would be encouraged by this message. That no matter where we are, whether it be in the valley or the mountaintop, whether it be in full assurance right now or in, in that place of where we feel like your voice has been silenced and we haven't heard from you from a, for a while, that, God, we would be able to come and we would, we would be able to sing the song that though you slay me, still I will praise you. And that, Father, we would come and we would gather this morning and we would be encouraged as your people that as we reflect upon the past, that you would prepare us for a future and that we would respond with joy and praise. Help us, dear Jesus. Guide us, dear Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake that we pray these things and all God's people said, Amen. The first thing I want us to do is look at the reflection. There is a reflection in verses 1 through 3. And what the psalmist is doing here, he is reflecting on a different time when, when God had intervened in the history of his people. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, that's what verse 1 said. When the Lord brought back the captive, brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. A time when they were captive. A time when they were, when they were in, in change, when time when they were bound, but now they have been brought back. Now, here's the thing, when you go back and you study this, we don't know exactly when this time of captivity was. It could have been a time of the plague, it could have been a time of, of famine, or it could have been a time when they were literally in captivity. But what we do know is this, that there is a clear memory for all of those who are present. There is a clear memory from this song that they would have looked back and they would have seen their captivity. And in looking back, they would have been able to reflect on this. This bringing back, by the way, it says, when the Lord brought back. This bringing back is not merely, ladies and gentlemen, a return from captivity. As a matter of fact, the NIV, the ESV, and the CSB, all of these translations render it like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. So it's not merely a bringing back, but it's a bringing back and restoration. There's a, there's a redemption of His people in the bringing of them back, but there's a restoration in the fortunes of all that they had known. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that it is not merely a reestablishing of a people in a place, but it's a people in a place with a blessing. That they're reflecting on when God had restored them and restored them back to where they were supposed to be with the blessing that He had for them. An event that was so impressive that He writes, we were like those who dream. We were like those who dream. The experience of a people who have been so overwhelmed by the grace of God in their past that they couldn't even think that it was real. It was like a dream. You know, the story of the New Testament, if you'll turn there with me, we're going to go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. We see Peter, he's sitting in prison. And as he's sitting in prison at the request of Herod, which, by the way, according to the beginning verses of chapter 12, had, had just beheaded James. So there is real persecution here, real death on the line. Herod just had James, the brother of John, put to death. 
And I want to pick up in chapter 12 of the book of Acts in verse 5. And look at what happens here with Peter. Speaking of this idea of as those who dream. We're going to pick up in verse 5 and we'll read through verse 11. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the doors were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate and leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Did you get it? I felt like I was in a dream. I felt like I was in a dream. And it says when Peter came to himself. And here, in, back in Psalm 126, he says, the psalmist is reflecting on the grace of God in a past experience. Faith family, this is a practice that the scriptures repeat over and over again. For us as God's people to remember the works of God in our past. For us as God's people in the present to remember the works of God in our past. All in an, in an effort in order not to allow our present circumstances to define our future hope. Did you get that? So it's, it's the call for God's people to reflect on God's good grace in the past so that we don't allow our present circumstances to allow us to be controlled so that we have this dire idea of a future hope. Do you want to know one of the things that my family shared with me, my wife shared with me, my daughter shared with me as the pastor was being the pastor in a Orlando airport? Do you, know, you want to know what people were ministering to me? Oh, I'm the pastor, right? I should be ministering to people. I wasn't very ministering ing. So my wife's on the phone, and what does she tell me? Donnie, don't forget that God is faithful. A daughter sitting in the airport with me, big smile on her face. She has no clue really what I'm mad at. Dad, God is faithful. How do we know God is faithful? Because God's always been faithful. And you see, I'm going to tell you, in that moment, I was not trusting in God's faithfulness. I was trusting in my cunningness, my ability, my strength, my power, and my just my absolute ability just to plow through everything and make it happen. You know, because that's what I do. I plow through. I make things happen. I make it happen. And I was going to get these people to understand. I was going to make this happen. And God 
just humbled me. And the only thing I had at the end of all this was just to be reminded of God's faithfulness. And here I am, almost a month later, and do you know what I can reflect on? God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. Paul would write to the Ephesians, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us. <laughs> it's as though God's people stand on the precipice of hope, reflecting on the grace of God. I don't know where you are today, but are you standing on the precipice of hope? If you find yourself like I did just a few weeks ago and you're not standing on the precipice of hope, I want to take you back to God's continuous faithfulness and His grace. Because, see, when we reflect upon His grace, what happens is we, we're able to look at a new day. We're able to look at a new dawn. We're able to look at hope. And here, as these pilgrims return on this pilgrimage, they remember the times of God's restoration. As they begin to again, once begin this journey back to this place, to Jerusalem, to celebrate in the feast of God's goodness, they remember the times of God's restorative power. They reflect on the day when God's redemption simply seemed too good to be true. I wonder that in spite of wherever you may be, wherever you and I may be, that we would look back and be reminded of the grace of God who turns exile into ecstasy, who turns, who turns banishment into bliss, who takes sin and makes it sanctified. Do you hear me, church? I wonder if you're at a place in your life where you're looking in your own life in this moment and you have forgotten to look back at God's amazing grace. And he writes, then, then, verse 2, then, verse 2, it says, Then our mouth, and then they said, again, it's going to be said twice here, which indicates there's two responses of the people, two responses of these people of God's amazing grace. First, what is the response of a people who look back and remember a time of God's amazing goodness? Our mouths are filled with laughter and our tongue with, jo and, and our tongue with joyful singing. It's a verbal response to God's grace and goodness. Mouths filled with laughter. Tongues with joyful singing. It's as if they didn't have the words to say it, but a joy so unspeakable it results in laughter and shouting. Have you ever been there? A joy so good that you can't help but laugh and cry at the same time, huh? I had walked seven miles. Seven miles from my house to a little coffee shop called Sweet Aroma on a Monday. I had been, I had been walking all day preaching and preparing and, and witnessing to the best of my ability in where I was. Mackenzie was with the, with the doctor and she, it was her first day. It was her first day that she was supposed to go work in the hospital. First day that she was supposed to go work in the hospital. Man, she was so excited. I remember her from the night before. She was excited to go. I'm sitting in Sweet Aroma with a Muslim and a Christian, sharing the gospel, sharing God's good news with both of them. The Muslim is a good friend of mine. I met him last year. His name is Hussein. And I get a phone call from Lamech, the doctor, and he says, Donnie, your daughter's not well. 
you need to come now to the hospital. I grabbed Hussein by the arm and I said, get me a boda, which is a motorcycle, a taxi. Get me a boda. My daughter's in trouble and I've got to go. Hussein looks at me and he goes, you're not getting no boda. Hold on, I'll get a car. He got a car. Don't know where. He got a car and within three minutes I was at the hospital. I walk into, my, walk into the hospital and there's my daughter laying on a gurney. They're beginning to put IV in her to start fluids and to start her antibiotic treatment that will take the next six days. She has a port in her hand for three days, antibiotic for six days. Through intravenous drugs and through oral drugs. I can tell you that at that moment, I didn't know what to do. I called Shay, woke her up. She's, I've woken this woman up more times in the past month, in the middle of the night, more than you could ever imagine, and hardly ever been good. I missed the flight again. I missed the flight again. I missed the flight again. It's always, I did it again. I called her this time, and I said, Shay, something's wrong with Mackenzie. She passed out. She passed out. She's not doing well. She has, we are going to have to do an IV. I'm giving them permission to give her antibiotics and to give her some fluids. She's greatly dehydrated. So, you got to get this. So, we're worried, we're concerned, we're doing all this. Mackenzie's starting to feel better. You can see that she's starting to feel better. We spend a day in the hospital. I play doctor. Hilarious story. I'll tell you about it later. And I get home to Lamech and Kelsey's house, and we're sitting there eating dinner. And I'll never forget it dawned on me. It just dawned on me. Lamech's telling a story about Mackenzie and how she passed out. I got it recorded on my phone. I want all of you to see it. It's hilarious because he tells this story about Mackenzie going, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And she falls, and when she falls, she starts hitting her head. I don't know what's wrong with me. Something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. And she's freaking out. He is telling this story, and we are laughing so hard. This is the night, the day what we weren't laughing too much, but the night we were laughing so hard. You remember that, Kenzie? We were all laughing around the table, and we were having, it was so fun, so much joy. And then it dawned on me. How in God's providence did my daughter pass out into the arms of a doctor in a hospital in Uganda? Do you see that? I couldn't help but rejoice. Oh, thank you, God, for you. If she has to pass out, do it in a doctor's arms in a hospital, right? If there's a place that you want to pass out in the middle of Uganda, it's in a doctor's arms in the middle of the hospital, right? Praise be to God. We started laughing. I got this little giggle laugh going on. I couldn't stop laughing. Lamech is laughing. Mackenzie's laughing. Kelsey's laughing. Girl has a port in her arm, and we're joking about the whole thing. Why? Because God's good. And here, this is what's happening. A people who reflect on God's goodness in the midst of all the trouble, in the midst of all the pain, and they are responding with a verbal response of God's goodness and grace, filled with laughter and joy. Mouths filled with laughter, tongues filled with joyful shouting. It's as if they didn't have the words to say, but a joy so unspeakable, it results in laughter. Mercy so amazing that words can't even describe it. It's as if our body can't even help it. I just got to laugh, I got to shout, I got to tell somebody that he's good. Have you ever? Have you ever experienced the goodness of God that is so great that you just had to laugh at it? You don't, you didn't laugh at it maybe in the moment, but you reflect on it and you go, oh, God is good. That is so good. Do you remember that? 
You see, this is often the response of a people who have been amazed by it all. It's the reflection of these people here on the days when laughter and joy filled the air. But I want you to know, it wasn't merely the reaction of the people of God, but also all those around. The song continues, it says, Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Did you hear that? Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Muslim calls me. How's it going? How's it kiki? By the way, we have pet names in Uganda. I'm an emoti. She is a kiki. That's what they call her. How's a kiki? Mackenzie. A kiki's better. She has this and this. And I start explaining everything. And he goes, praise be to your God. Yes. Yes. A redeemed people church that will live as redeemed people whose mouths are filled with laughter and whose tongues are, dis- are described with joy will display something that provides the empirical evidence that the Lord must be at work because there's no way that people could have that much joy and that much celebration in a world like we live in. Where has our joy gone? Where has our laughter erupted? Why is it that the pagan has stole the laughter of the world and we have lost it? You want to know why? Because we live so caught up in all the turmoil of the present that we forget to look back on God's goodness and grace. If we would be a people, oh, but a people that would wake up every morning and remember God's goodness and grace, what would we describe to this world? What would the world, man, God must be good to you. Oh, he has been good to me. I want to remind you, these are the very people who were recorded in Psalm 79.10. And in Psalm 79.10, these were the people who were asking, where is your God? And here they find them very selves testifying to the great things He has done for them. Beloved, I need you to understand this. The restoration and redemption of God's people resulted in their joy, but it was not purposed in their joy. I need you to understand that because if not, it gets wonky quick. And then I start sounding a lot like a TBN pastor and not like a Christian. Listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. The redemption and restoration of God's people resulted in their joy. It was not purposed in their joy. The prominence of Israel isn't the point. The, 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 the idea of Israel receiving the blessing isn't the point. The point is the glory and the goodness and the grace of God on display through them that result in the worship and praise of Him because it's all because of His glory and His goodness. You see, that's the point, that God would be glorified, that God would be known. The point is not that David slayed the Goliath. The point is that God, through David, slayed the Goliath. Did you understand me? The point isn't how good Moses was. Moses never made it to the promised land because of his sin. The point was that a good God redeemed his people and used Moses to redeem his people. There's a better Moses. There's a better David. There's a better Ruth. There's a better all of them. It's Jesus. He's the point. He gets the glory. He gets the goodness and he gives the grace. Do you hear me, church? It's not you. You're not the point of this story. 
You're a character that gets to be a part of the story, though. And He is glorified in the midst of it. Can you hear me? I'm trying to preach to you. One author would write it like this, quote, The Lord's blessing prompted joy in His people. Joy overflows into praise. And praise directed the nations to appreciate the glory of the Lord. Where has our praise gone? Where has our praise gone? Uh, I, I, right before I left, it's been a minute, hasn't it? Right before I left, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention. And we did something at the SBC uh, on the, in the nights. We went to go worship with a group of people. It was called Nine Marks at Nine. We went and worshiped with them. Everybody who was there can vouch for this. It was one piano. They hit three chords. And we sang. And I listened to the sound of God's people sing. And men, men singing robustly with vigor, not they did not that they sounded great, but they sounded. The praise of godly men rose, and when the praise of godly men rise from the goodness and grace of God, something happens in the midst of a church. Something happens in the midst of a community. Can we be those men? Can we be those women? Can we be those people? And then verse 3. We see the people of God echo what the nations have been saying. The people of God echo what the nations have been saying. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has been good to us. Do you notice verse 3? I love this. We are glad. Thank you. Are you glad? If we were ever able to see the captives we were and the freedom we have been provided. If we were ever able every day to see the enemies that we were, yet adopted we have become. From the trouble, the depression, the sin, the doubt, the fear, and all the wickedness that was in us, we have been set free. What would our response be but what laughter and gladness? Are you glad? Are you glad yet? Are you ready to walk out of this place glad? Are you ready to walk out of here with joy? I can tell you, church, that when you understand God's goodness and grace in the midst of it, you can. Ever wonder what the apologetic of our joy could bring to a world so clouded by division and fear and anxiety? No wonder, Paul writes, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for what? For the hope that is in you. Beloved, you may be asking, what in my life do I have to reflect on that would cause this kind of joy, this kind of gladness? Oh, I would say many things if you would sit down with me for a minute. Let's talk about your breathing. Let's talk about your lungs. Let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about your eyes. Let's talk about your ears. Let's talk about your wife. Let's talk about your husband. Talk about your children. Talk about your grandchildren. Talk about your house. Talk about electricity. Oh, let's talk about running water. Ooh. Hot water you can drink, cold water you can drink, coffee. Did you have coffee this morning? Let's talk about your cars. Did you have a car this morning? What about your shoes? What about your shirt? I could go on and on and on and on. Trust me, you don't want to be here all day. I would say many things, 
But I would say nothing is less beautiful, nothing less joyous, less amazing, less gracious, good, less great as the cross in an empty tomb. If you can't go back far enough to find some good, I take you all the way back to a cross in an empty tomb. Because the problem is not that you're looking in your past, the problem is you're not looking far enough. See, some of you, your joy has been erupted because of what's happened in your past. You haven't looked far enough. Whatever's happened in your past, and I have a past that happened. And I can look back, and I can look back on things and challenges that were there, and I can either let them steal my present day joy and my future hope, or I can look further back on a day in which I I found victory in Jesus. I do want you to reflect briefly with me. The psalmist almost demands us to remember it. It's not merely our individual salvation, church. It's our collective salvation. Notice the pronouns here. We, them, us, we. Our collective joy is a declaration to the world of what it means to be His own. When we get together in community and we have joy in community, that is a reflection to this world and to the people who join us to say something, something's different about those people. They seem to be glad. Why why do we hide it under a bushel? Why do we hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Y'all know where I'm going with this. Y'all already got it in your mind. That boy's about to sing. Oh, yes, I am. This little light of mine. What does it say? I wish it would just shine. I'm what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to let it shine. That's a willful decision to make a choice that I'm going to let it shine. You need to stop singing it to your kids and start singing it to your soul. I'm going to let this shine. We are glad. We are. We should display our joy, and then we should declare the reason for it. Notice that the gladness declared by God's collective community is a present gladness. We are right now glad. It was a reflection of God's provision, not due to current circumstances, but it was due to God's faithfulness. i got to get this through our heads. If you think you're going to be glad and joyful because all the circumstances around you have been resolved, think again because tomorrow's coming, church. Think again because we live in a broken world. Think again because you're a sinner and he's a sinner and she's a sinner and this world's full of sin. Think again. Where do we find our collective joy? That's in a good God. I want you to listen to the message translation here. Listen to what it says. It says, it seemed like a dream too good to be true when God returned Zion's exiles. We laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them, they said. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. I like that. When's the last time you went to a church and they were just one happy people? Not Now listen, it's not a faking it till you make it. I've, I've been to those churches. You know, it's the churches that you get here and you worship and yeah, we're happy, we're happy, and then the very first red light, we're unhappy. Or, or we get, well, we're in here and we're singing amazing grace. But boy, you let that dinner come a little bit late. 
You let that, you let that waitress get a little bit something wrong on your plate. Mmm. Y'all hear it. The hums. Mmm. Can we be a glad people? I mean, truly. I am calling us. As your pastor, I'm calling us, and I'm calling my own heart to be a happy people. To be joyful. Doesn't mean everything's okay. Don't mistake in me. No more than forgiving somebody means what they did was right. But it means that we're going to make a declaration to be that. Have you, or can you reflect with me? So we're going to remove, we're going to move from the reflection to the request in verses four through six. Aren't you glad there's only two points in this sermon? And all God's people said, Amen. So here there's a change. We move from reflecting on God's past and reflecting on His goodness, and now there's a change. It says, restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. You see, for the memories of God's past goodness don't slip us into some nostalgia, but it is the very impetus for our hope in the very present day. You see, this is where we go wrong in the thinking of the past. We stay there. And for those whose almond tree has blossomed, it gets more and more real because you have more pasts than you have futures. For those of you who are older, whose hair is gray is what I'm talking about. If you're not careful, you will reflect on a past as though it's nostalgic, and then you always live in the past without saying, wait, I don't live in the past. I can't live in the past. I live in the present for a future, and I'm not going to allow the nostalgia to overwhelm my sense of reality. I'm going to live in the present with joy. It says... Here, turn again our captivity. You see, we discover ourselves back in a captivity. And it's the plea from his people. What is the plea? Oh, dear God, will you do it again? As they reflect on their present past rescue, they request God, God, do it again. Beloved, nothing strengthens our present faith more than than the effectual, than the memory of a past experience. And as we come before God requesting rescue from our current situations, take a breath and recall God's faithfulness to this point. We must not forget the past. I am not saying that. I I am not saying that, hey, you just forget about it and move on. But in light of our present need, we must let our petitions come before God to do what we cannot do for ourselves and that which no power can perform on our behalf. We need God to do it again. And I'm going to tell you this, having come from a third world foreign country, listening to these people talk about us as Americans, there is one thing I'm very, I'm very sure of. There's anything that this church in the America needs in these United States is we need God to do it again. This is nothing we're going to work up. We need God to do it again. We need men who will beg of God, do it again, God, do it again, cause revival in this place. And they illustrate their captivity, their current time. Remember, they've been reflecting on the past, and now he's saying, restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. These streams, these streams, You see, in southern Israel, for most of the year, they are dry stream beds. But when the rain falls, these wadis go from being barren to being blessed, from dry to being torrents. 
and throughout the dusty, bland desert, because of the water that has now been shared throughout these stream beds, it blossoms like a garden. And that's what's being sung here. Rest, restore us again so that we may once again have the light. It's as though they are singing, O oh Lord, pour down your blessing on us. A request for the immediate relief of the drought. And then in the very next verse, we see the preparation that is necessary. We turn to a, a, another agricultural metaphor for description of what it means to wait on the Lord. In light of our desire for this immediate relief, in light of our desire for Him to pour out His blessings on us again, we discover the often laboring process of what we are to do as we await that pouring. And at the moment, those who are sowing in tears through the abundant redemption of the Lord shall reap with shoutful joyful, shoutful joy, shout, joyful shouting. It's a picture of those whose sorrows will turn into shouting, their pain will turn into praise, and their lament turns into laughter. Our present struggle must not be viewed as our permanent position. Oh, can I say it again? Our present struggle must not be viewed as our permanent position. It's not the end, but it may be the means to an end. Sorrow may be sowing, but joyful shouting is our reaping. Beloved, if there were no sorrowful sowing, we could not see the joy in reaping. I need you to get this. The depth of our pain often reflects the pinnacle of our pleasure. The depth of our pain often reflects the pinnacle of our pleasure. And this is hope, yes? Though we sow in sorrow, we reap in rejoicing. Although one goes to and fro weeping, verse 6, carrying his bag of seed. Here we see the present struggle of sowing. The present struggle of living the life. Jesus would say this, what, we, what would he say? That the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And as we go about sowing, if you've ever worked a garden or a farm, it doesn't take long to identify. If you've ever worked a garden, the pain that comes from preparing the soil and sowing the seed is often seen in the hope of what shall indeed come. Have you ever done it in a garden? You spend all that time sowing, plowing, getting the, getting the mixture of the soil ready, and you spend all that time watering, you spend all that time planting, all that time putting the seed in, all for what? Why did you do all that? Do you know how many times I've been asked that question from my own children, Dad? You spend $30 to get $5 worth of bell peppers. Right? Anybody ever done that? You have this garden back there, and it's producing about $5 worth of bell peppers that you could have went, you could have went and just bought from the... But there's something in it for me. It's almost like a living illustration. It's like I want to sow in the spring so that I can reap in the summer. I want to sow so that I can see this, so I can be a part of God's nature, so that in His general revelation it could lead, lead me to my spiritual need. That's why I have a garden. It's not that I can't go afford bell peppers or jalapenos or okra. It's the fact that it teaches me something. 
And it's teaching me a lot right now. For the one who sows weeping shall indeed come again with a a shout of joy, bringing in his sheaves with him. Did you get that? Because a single seed produces a sheave of crop. Ah, but it's the time spent between the sowing and the reaping that we often experience the need for what? Patience. Mm. It's the hidden truth of the song. I don't mean hidden as is there some secret code to break in the meaning. No, I mean hidden by uh, that in the, in the request for the restoration lies the faith that is going to be required to trust God for the hope of His promised provision. That's the hidden secret. That as you look at the past and you hope for the future, there's a faith in the reality of the day. As we sow, we are quickly reminded that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. For what a man sows, he reaps. For the psalmist, what we can be assured of is this. There is a harvest. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears. And as you meet us in our mourning, with a love that cast out fear. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever. Perfect in love. Sovereign over us. So church, in conclusion, we work in this present time acknowledging the faithfulness of God in the past while living out the sorrow that sowing often brings, trusting in the promises that the reaping of joy is to come. Though sorrow may last for the night, oh, joy comes in the morning. Matthew Henry, he would add something here. He would say that weeping doesn't hinder sowing, but it does accompany it. And having once been a captive to sin and now redeemed, I discovered that in the sowing of the seeds and in the laboring, There are often tears and there are often pain. Yet the very God who delivered me from captivity then is transforming my heart through much sorrow to tears or as the psalmist says, shouts of joy and shouts of abundance. Beloved, this may be our journey to the great celestial city. We go to and fro in our activity, often weeping in our humility carrying our bag of seed and our diligence acknowledging that the time shall indeed come again in certainty that there will be a shout of joy that's rejoicing 
as we bring in the sheaves of the reward of all we have done for the glory of God. May this be our song. May this be our prayer this week. God, restore unto us your people. God, restore unto us the hearts of obedience, knowing that by faith you will restore unto us that great day, the joy of our salvation. And as we live our lives in the space between recalling what God has done for us in the past and hoping what God will grant us in the future, may we find joy as we wait for His restored blessing. Because church, if we are faithful in the routine, we can always trust Him to be faithful with the reward. The prophet Habakkuk would say this, though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Isn't that good? Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. I don't know how you walked into this place this morning. I don't know how your week has been. I know how mine has been. May we be a people whose joy and whose gladness are present and real. And may when we gather as communities together in the, in the lost midst of this broken world, may we be a reflection of all His goodness and His grace. Let's stand to our feet and prepare our hearts for the response to the Lord's Supper. For those of you who are here and are without Christ, I pray that this message has been one that has drawn you to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who has endured the cross, who lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve to die, who was placed in a tomb and three days later rose again to defeat death, hell, and the grave, who demonstrates to us that even in the midst of the devil's greatest enemy to us, which is death, he doesn't understand that in taking us to our lowest, it will only result in the rising to our highest. You see, he loses. He loses. One of the common refrains over this past month from the people in Uganda to me and from others has been this. What the devil has meant for evil, God will use it for good. We were able to preach the gospel. We, and I say we because you collectively were with me. We are able to preach the gospel and share Jesus with over 500 people. Many of those were because my plane was delayed. Glory be to God. And I come to you today and I say, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I can honestly say this from the bottom of my heart. I don't know how you live in a world like we live in with a hope like we live with. And I will admit to you that often... Often those people who proclaim themselves as Christian, often we, we are not the most joyful and glad people. Will you forgive us for that? We're working on it. We're working on it. But I can tell you this. I can tell you the God we serve is a faithful, good, gracious, and glorious God who will one day redeem His people. And He says, He says to us in the end, listen to what He says, you may now enter, what? 
the joy of your salvation. Isn't that good? But until that day, may we be his people. So as we as the church, if you have not followed Christ, we ask that you would do that by faith. We pray that God would redeem you, and if he would, then you would follow through in obedience and baptism. Baptizo literally means to be dunked beneath the water. It is the, dis- it is the baptism of those who would proclaim him. Um, we would ask that you would get with someone in this faith family. You can get with me after the service. You can get with me as we pray. You can get with somebody else that is here and asking them, I haven't been scripturally baptized after belief, and if you would like to follow through, would you, would you allow us? Would you participate in God's goodness with that? If not, if you go back home, if you're not staying here for a while, if you go back home, you would find a church, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church that would be able to restore unto your joy salvation as well. If you're lost in here, what we are about to do as a faith family, I want to explain it to you briefly. We're going to participate in what is called the Lord's Supper. If you're not saved, you don't participate in this out of, out of, out of pure choice on your own. It, this is the Lord's Supper. So if you are a believer in here, and you're a member of another church, we would invite you to come be a part of us. Come, enjoy this. And why do we do this? If you're an unbeliever, why do we do this? We do this because we listen to the message preached and we realize we need to respond. But we don't do it in our own strength. If we were able to save ourselves, we would have already done it. We look at this last week and we can see times where we were not displays of joy and gladness. We were not remembering God's faithfulness. Instead, we were allowing all the junk in our lives to kind of warp our minds. We are being sanctified, but we are not there yet and we are being reminded of this. And because of that, we come back to this table reminded of Jesus and his body and his blood and all that he's done for us and reminding us that we are in need of him in this week to come. You may watch if you're an unbeliever. You may come up to the table and watch, but we are begging you, please do not participate in the elements for your safety and for your sake and for our safety and our sake. We would obviously ask for you to believe and be baptized and follow through so that you can participate in these things next week. But if you're an unbeliever in here, we would ask for you not to. For those of you who are believers with me, we're going to take a few moments now. Reflect upon the word that has been preached and the spirit of God that has been placed into our souls as a reflection of our, of our own guilt, our own shame, our own fear, our own sin. And now we come to him and we're going to ask for his forgiveness so that we don't come to this table in an unworthy manner. We're going to ask for the forgiveness of him and we are going to forgive others because that's what he demands of us. That's what he demands. So that we don't come to this table in an unworthy manner. So church, faith family. We will bow our heads. If you're visiting with us, we're going to bow our heads and pray in silence. I will conclude. You'll walk out. You'll come get the elements, walk back to your seat, and then we will participate together first in the uh, fruit of the cup and then in the, uh, in the bread. So let us go before our Lord God and our King. Let us pray before God together. Let us pray.